We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 170 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. What is a day for beginnings? The Wizards, they'll begin their 2021-2022 regular season on Wednesday night. The Capitals, if Genny Kuznetsov, he is perhaps in the midst of a return to glory and the 2-4 and four Washington football team, it, on this Wednesday, will begin the team's practice week for Sunday afternoon's game at the Green Bay Packers. Yes, Washington will be at historic Lambeau Field on Sunday to face old friend Matt LaFleur, old friend Preston Smith, 
Aaron Rodgers and the five and one Packers. Uh, I believe the proper expression is gulp, but we shall see. Well, I have a special guest for you to talk Washington football team on this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. He's a big Washington football team fan. Uh, Nick is involved in the grading of Washington players. So when you hear and read about this Washington player's PFF grade, that Washington player's PFF grade, Nick plays a major role in computing those grades. He'll tell us about that and about what's going on with Washington this season. Who's playing well? Who isn't? We're going to do a lot in particular on Washington's defense and on Taylor Heineke. Also, we have an update on the emails. Yes, the John Gruden Bruce Allen emails, or maybe I should just say the Bruce Allen emails. I'll explain. Wait till you hear the latest in all of this. I'll talk about that next segment. Uh, I mentioned the Wizards beginning their regular season on Wednesday night. I said I mentioned the Wizards beginning their regular season on Wednesday night. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A. Thank you. Uh, I'll chat with Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington to preview the Wizards season. We had major news with the Wiz as they on Tuesday officially announced the re-signing of Daniel Gafford to a multi-year contract extension. Really smart move. We'll get into why. Also, Bradley Beal. Is he going to accept the Wizards max contract extension offer? And if not, are the Wizards going to trade Beal? This season. I mean, to me, unless the Wizards are just like killing it this season, there's no way that you can't trade Beal by the trade deadline if he hasn't accepted the offer because you can't have the nightmare scenario play out. And the nightmare scenario is Beal leaving you for nothing or next to nothing this summer when he can opt out of his contract. I mean, yeah, you could do a sign and trade, but sign and trades never net a proper return for a superstar player. So we'll get into the Beal situation and much more on the Wizards, including the Rui Hachimura situation coming up in just a bit. Great win for the Capitals on Tuesday night, a 6-3 spanking of the Colorado Avalanche at Capital One Arena. Evgeny Kuznetsov was tremendous. Kuzi looks terrific so far this season. I'll postgame the Caps win later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received a lot of feedback on William Jackson III's performance in Washington's 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. WJ3 in that game legitimately had one of the worst tackling performances that I can ever remember a Washington player having. Email from Michael King. My goodness, he is a bad tackler. Ole. Email from Mr. Jeffrey Southworth writes Mr. Jeffrey, this game showed me everything we need to see about Don Ron's guy, William Jackson III. Through the first five games, you could argue he was experiencing the learning curve of a new system and teammates, but WJ3 appeared to be slow to contact all game and seems uninterested in making a hit. It cost us all game. His tackling was atrocious and he just looks lazy and at times uninterested. I mean, he certainly isn't guarding anyone. He is playing like a guy who just secured the bag, made his money, and isn't too worried about anything else. I am still rooting for the guy, but Don Ron, this is your guy. I thought he was supposed to be a physical press guy. Someone help me understand. Shout out to the People's Corner. Uh, Yes, Mr. Jeffrey. Shout out 
to Jimmy Moreland. One day we will find out why he was released and Washington's cut down to 53. I still don't get that. But yeah, William Jackson III was terrible in the loss of the Chiefs. I've been saying that for days. I tweeted it out shortly after the end of the game. I was in favor of Washington signing Jackson in free agency this past March. I applauded the signing. I still believe that he could end up being a good player for Washington, but he has not been a good player so far. And, you know, the scheme fit stuff, I think there is legitimacy to that, and we'll talk about that with Nick Ackridge, but the scheme fit stuff only goes so far, too. I mean, even if William Jackson III is not being used exactly as he should be being used, that doesn't excuse the woeful tackling that was on display by him and other Washington players on Sunday. Make the tackle, okay? Too often, William Jackson III did not make the tackle, and that has nothing to do with your defensive scheme. Be a football player and make the tackle. Uh, Email from Josh on the Washington football team off the loss to the Chiefs. Writes Josh, I heard a lot of talk after the game, again, of players and coaches saying, we need to watch the film and learn from this. I'm a teacher, and there is a saying in education that if the student is not learning, then the teacher is not teaching. I think that's what's happening down in Ashburn. Also, it's time to order the Code Red. Uh, Josh, you're going to order the Code Red for this next game at the 5-1 and one Packers? That's critical. It's uh, Code Red for us. Yes, Jay, the Code Red. You know, it was one thing to order the Code Red for that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in October 2015. It's another thing to order the Code Red for this upcoming game at Old Arod and the Packers. Uh, I'm not sure that that's a Code Red on which Washington will deliver. Uh, Email from David Meadows on the Washington football team. Writes, David, coming to terms with the fact it will be another bad season again. The defense is just bad. It may improve, but I will not hold my breath. And Heineke is average. I think the only way he is special is when he is running around in chaos mode, dropping back. He is just very average. I think we need more plays on which he runs. If he gets hurt again, so be it. Yeah, I talked about that on Tuesday's show, episode 169. Heineke does seem to have lost some of his mojo, and maybe him running more would help him to regain that mojo. We obviously do not want to see him get hurt again, but maybe that's a risk that needs to be taken. And who knows, maybe he doesn't get hurt. You know, maybe he can strike that right balance between running and not taking unnecessary shots. Although, even if you strike that right balance, you still can get hurt, but It stands out to me that you have this blazing fast quarterback in Heineke, and I don't know that he has one read option run this season. Does Heineke have any read option runs this season? It feels like all of his runs have been scrambles. How do you not run at least some read option with a guy who possesses the speed that Taylor Heineke does? And maybe Washington has run some read option plays, and Heineke just hasn't ended up keeping the football on those plays. But Uh, There has been this concerted effort to minimize Heineke's running in order to keep him healthy. Well, don't ever minimize your health, uh, especially when it comes to screening for skin cancer. Uh, Skin cancer is the most common of all cancers. In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. Skin cancer is what Ron Rivera dealt with last year, squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with 
skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Burgess and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game-changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. A welcome on Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge to talk Washington football team next segment. The 2-4 and four Washington football team on Wednesday will begin the team's practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the 5-1 Green Bay Packers at 1. We did have some football news for Washington on Tuesday. The team signed kicker Chris Blewett back to the practice squad. You blew it! Yes, you blew it. Chris Blewett is back on Washington's practice squad. He is a kicker. His last name is Blewett, uh, and he's back on Washington's practice squad. Blewett was just on Washington's practice squad earlier this month, October 5th to October 13th. Uh, he is Dustin Hopkins Insurance, although Blewett pretty clearly is not a threat to Hopkins. At least we don't think. Hopkins is 12 of 14 on field goals this season. Did have a bad miss in the 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Missed that 42-yard field goal attempt in the third quarter with Washington nursing a 13-10 lead was uh, wide left. Uh, but Hopkins did make his other two field goal attempts in the game. Connected on a first quarter 50-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-3. And Hopkins connected on a second quarter 43-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 10-6. Understand that Chris Blewett has never kicked in an NFL regular season game. So you may not love Dustin Hopkins. I don't know how anyone could love Dustin Hopkins as an NFL kicker, but do you really want to go with Chris Blewett? He was with the Chicago Bears from March 2019 to June 2019. Uh, Blewett participated in the Pittsburgh Steelers rookie minicamp in 2017 on a tryout basis, but he has never kicked in an NFL regular season game. Also on Tuesday, by the way, was Washington releasing receiver Kelvin Harmon from the practice squad. So that was the main football news 
regarding the Washington football team on Tuesday. But of course, with Washington, the news is never as simple as just football. Also on Tuesday was an update on the emails. So we have these John Gruden, Bruce Allen emails, right? John Gruden, now two Monday nights ago, October 11th, resigned as Las Vegas Raiders head coach off multiple reports of him having used racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language in emails with Bruce Allen during John's time as an analyst on ESPN's Monday Night Football and Bruce's time as a Washington executive. The emails were uncovered via the Beth Wilkinson investigation into workplace misconduct for Washington. And the New York Times on October 11th reported that, quote, Gruden exchanged emails with Allen and other men that included photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders, end quote. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Ah, yes, Brucey, the culture. And so the last week plus has featured widespread calls for the NFL to release all of the emails. How many emails? We believe 650,000 plus emails. That's what has been reported. Well, not only is the NFL not releasing the emails, but the NFL now is saying that all of the 650,000 plus emails were from Bruce Allen's Redskins account. Pro Football Talk has been among the loudest entities screaming for the NFL to release the emails. Pro Football Talk, remember, hates Dan Snyder and the Washington football team, has had it out for the Danny and the team for years. Uh, Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio on Tuesday wrote that, according to the NFL, the 650,000-plus emails were sent to and from Bruce Allen on his team account. And they also were, quote, outside the scope of the workplace culture investigation, end quote. Now, look, no giant fan of Mike Florio am I. I have called him fake news Florio over the years. But how about that from the NFL? All of the 650,000 plus emails are from Bruce Allen's Redskins account, and they were, quote, outside the scope of the workplace culture investigation, end quote. Huh? I mean, let's start with that latter part. The emails were outside the scope of the workplace culture investigation. What are you talking about? Per the New York Times, Gruden exchanged emails with Allen and other men that included photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders. How is that outside the scope? of the workplace investigation into the Washington football team. That makes no sense to me. And then there's just the basic math on this. So you're telling me all of the 650,000 plus emails are from Bruce Allen's Redskins account. Allen B at Redskins.com. Okay, let's do the math. Bruce Allen worked for Washington from December 17th, 2009 to December 30th, 2019. So 10 years. 650,000 plus emails works out to about 65,000 emails sent or received per year. That works out to about 178 emails sent or received per day. And I'm talking every day, Sunday 
through Saturday, 178 emails sent or received per day, every day, Sunday through Saturday for 10 years. Now, I know that Brucey was a busy guy, okay? And I know that Brucey was a big macher with Washington for 10 years. But 178 emails sent or received per day? Really? Like, what was going on in Brucey's email account, okay? Like, was he just getting a bunch of match emails from match.com or something, okay? Maybe Brucey was more of an eHarmony guy. Maybe Brucey was a J-Date guy. Who knows, you know? Maybe Brucey was on blackpeoplemeet.com. I don't know. I don't judge. Farmersonly.com. The possibilities are endless here. But you tell me, how in the world was Brucifer averaging 178 emails sent or received per day on his Redskins account? I mean, think about that. Look, I guess it's possible, all right? I mean, I know your work email account can become filled up right quick. I get that. We've all had work email accounts. So I guess I shouldn't entirely dismiss the possibility of Bruce having averaged, again, 178 emails sent to receive per day over his 10 years as a Washington executive. But boy, that seems far more unlikely than likely. Think about this too. Most NFL executives communicate via cell phone. They're not sitting around typing a bunch of emails all day, okay? This isn't 1997. And so if we agree that Bruce probably wasn't averaging 178 emails sent to received per day on his Redskins account over his 10 years as an executive for the team, then that means that the NFL is lying and that all of these 650,000 plus emails are not emails that were sent or received on Bruce Allen's Redskins account. So yeah, the NFL may well be fibbing. Shock face, I know. And if the NFL is lying, then you got to ask, well, why is the NFL lying? And the obvious answer to that is that the NFL has something to hide. Well, what might that something to hide be? Answer, the contents of at least some of these other emails. Don't forget, the emails were a result of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. How is it that emails that were damaging to John Gruden and Bruce Allen were leaked, but nothing that was specifically damaging to Dan Snyder or any other past Washington employee was leaked? Bruce Allen is the only former Washington employee who's been damaged by these emails. What are the odds of that? That's why there is this theory that Dan Snyder himself is the source of the leaked emails. The idea being that Dan wanted to hurt Bruce, who Dan believes was part of the alleged smear campaign of Dan in the summer of 2020, along with then disgruntled Washington minority owner Dwight Shaw, and John Gruden just wound up as collateral damage in the leaking of these emails. The pushback to Danny being the source of the leaked emails is these emails have reignited this Washington workplace misconduct scandal, you know? So if you're Danny, why would you want to reignite that? But maybe Danny was like, I don't care. I want to stick it to Bruce. Uh, I do think it's very possible that Dan Snyder is the source of the emails. But what else is in these emails? Who else is involved with these emails? Is there a smoking gun in these emails that could lead to more trouble for Dan Snyder? We don't know. We may never know. Here's another question. 
This Beth Wilkinson investigation, did it not involve looking at emails from other people? Like, okay, let's say, for argument's sake, that all 650,000 plus of these emails are from Bruce Allen's Redskins account. All right, didn't you look at emails from other people's accounts? Like, did the investigation include looking at emails sent and received by, say, Alex Santos, Larry Michael, and others who were accused in those Washington Post stories? If so, what do those emails include? And if not, why not? Why weren't other Redskins employees' emails scrutinized the way that Bruce Allen's emails were scrutinized? You know, there's a lot about this Beth Wilkinson investigation that we don't know. Uh, I keep going back to Jay Gruden. You know, at least according to him, him having not been interviewed and having not even been asked to be interviewed. How does that happen? Why did that happen? What kind of an investigation into Washington's workplace culture was this in which the guy who was the head coach for five plus seasons wasn't talked to? Jay Gruden knows a lot. Whether he would be willing to share what he knows, who knows? But Jay understood the dynamics, the internal politics with the team as well as maybe anyone, and you don't talk to him? Why? What is that about? You tell me what you think. You can email me, the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. I get a lot of emails, but no, I do not average 178 emails sent to receive per day. Uh, not on that Yahoo account anyway. You know, if the NFL ever does get a hold of my emails on that account, the league will see more than a few emails between myself and John Grandland of Real Broker. Nothing nefarious, nothing sketchy, uh, a lot of business and some Washington football team and Nationals talk. John G is all about business, all about selling homes and getting you the most money possible. And he does this via his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. You know how Ron Rivera can't get enough of position flex? Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Grandland offers commission flex, flexible commission rates. Not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? You shouldn't. It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense to hold you to 6%, 7%, 8%. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. John Granlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Granlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John G now, 703-537-6747. He's a great guy, easy to talk to, big Washington football team fan, and he understands the real estate market in the DMV. When you talk to John G, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you, and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. See what John Granlin can do for you. 703 703- 537-6747 or visit John G sellsforfree.com. That's John G sellsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, 
He is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Exactly, Ron. Just like Position Flex. All right, time now for the first of our two special guests on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Very pleased to welcome on Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. He's a big Washington football team fan, puts out a lot of good stuff on Washington on Twitter. You can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Nick, it's great to have you on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. Just for clarification purposes, how involved are you in the actual grading of Washington players for PFF? Yeah, so on a weekly basis, we all kind of get assigned games. Um, I I don't specifically just do Washington players or Washington games. Sometimes I'll have a Washington game here and there, um, but we kind of just get assigned games on a weekly basis, and we don't really have a say on, on who we grade. Have you done a Washington game this season? Yes, I actually did uh, the past two games, so fun, fun stuff there. <laughs> yeah, lucky you. Well, there's a lot to sort through with our Washington football team right now. I guess let's first deal with the bad defense. In going through the player grades, in watching the games, in reviewing the games, who slash what to you are the biggest problems with this defense? Yeah, it's just the secondary and the linebacker play, and it's kind of something the linebacker play we kind of saw was going to be a problem going into the season. Um, they tried to address it with a first-round pick that hasn't really turned out well. But in my mind, it was always going to be somebody that, you know, he's, he's going to take time. He's he's kind of like a rookie quarterback in the sense that you need to see him struggle before he can, he can get good. Um, but it, it's the linebacker play and then the secondary. The secondary play is surprising to me. Um, I was a little concerned because when you, when you ch- kind of change pieces in the, in the back end like that, you know, it could sort of mess with the trust that players have in each other. And when you're playing a lot of these zone defenses that they're playing, a lot of these two high coverages, you need to have trust in who's next to you. And it just doesn't seem like they trust the other the other guys next to them. So they don't know where they're going to be. They don't trust them. They don't have the, you know, the trust to kind of pass off routes to another guy because they don't think that guy might be there. So, you know, some players are trying to do too much. They're, you know, they're, they're busting coverages, all these sorts of things. And it's just... It's just kind of a mess right now, and I think it all just kind of sums down to just them not having trust in each other. Specific to Washington's top two corners, two big money corners, William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller, one of the things that Pro Football Focus has taught us is that cornerback play can fluctuate dramatically year to year. To what extent is what we're seeing with Jackson and Fuller this season a function of that fluctuation? Yeah, I think I think that does speak to that a lot because with Kendall Fuller, if you if you just look through our grades when he was here with Washington the first time, he had one of the highest grades in the NFL. Went to Kansas City, had a couple of bad years, came back last year, solid year, and this year he, he seems to struggle again. But and I think it's just mostly because the defense or the team doesn't really know where to put him, and that's more of a sense of they're just kind of putting him everywhere. He's been playing in the slot a lot. He's been playing out wide. You know, he's played everywhere, and I don't think he's been able to really get comfortable in a specific position. You know, last year he was kind of staying out wide with him and Darby on each side. And, you know, he knew what he was supposed to do each time. He wasn't had, he didn't have to go inside and outside. And in playing slot, you need to kind of stay in the slot because it's one of the most difficult positions to play because you don't have the sideline to help you. So you kind of have to guard both inside and outside releases. And it's just, it's tough. And I think they need to kind of just give him a solid position and let him stay there. 
You brought up some of the schematic stuff with Washington's defense. Something that's gaining a lot of steam is William Jackson III, square peg, round hole. He excelled with the Cincinnati Bengals, largely playing in man coverage. He has been brought here to Washington, has played a good bit of zone coverage, and his play, perhaps not so coincidentally, has not been good. Uh, Is there validity in this idea of William Jackson III having been misused by Washington? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is. It's something I brought up a couple times. When when we signed him, I liked to sign him because I, I thought we were going to be using him to play more man coverage. And, you know, every defensive coordinator wants to be able to just play man coverage. It's the easiest coverage to run. You want to be able to just trust your guys one-on-one and, you know, let the front four get home. But they're still playing a ton of zone coverages. They're playing a lot of cover four, cover two, where he has to pass off routes. And he's not always just taking one guy. And, you know, it's something he's not really comfortable with. And so then when you do get into those man-to-man situations, he's getting beat because, you know, he's he's just not comfortable in the system yet. And, you know, it, it can turn around. It definitely can. But uh, I do sort of think it's a square peg, round hole sort of thing where you're just kind of you're signing a big-name guy, but, you know, you're not really matching your scheme to his talents. We're talking Washington football team with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who is a big Washington football team fans. So you may have just answered this question, but I have felt throughout this season that this Washington defense is better than what we're seeing, that the defense wasn't going to continue to play as it has played, but the defense has continued to play as it has played. Do you believe that this defense will turn things around or do I and others just have to accept that the 2021 Washington defense is a bad defense? It, I, the fan in me doesn't want to say that, um, but you know, if I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from an outside perspective, I, I think this is what they are. And you know, a lot of times we PFF has done studies in the past that kind of shows that your defense is really only as good as the offense it's playing, um, and that's kind of proven to be right these past two years with Washington's defense. Last year, you know, they played a lot of backup quarterbacks, they played a lot of bad teams, and you know, this year you're playing a lot of those top quarterbacks, Mahomes. You, we still have Rodgers and Brady coming up. You have Dak Prescott twice. So um, it's the schedule is not it's not going to help them at all. Um, I, I do think they're starting to turn the corner. I think the pass rush has been a lot better these past couple weeks. Um, but if you don't if you don't lock down that secondary and guys aren't trusting each other, it's, it doesn't really matter what that front four does. So with that principle that you just put forth, the idea that your defense is only as good as the offense that the defense is playing. I know one of the really frustrating things with this Washington defense is all of the resources that Washington has put into the defense over the last few years, right? Five consecutive NFL drafts in which Washington has spent a first-round pick on a defensive player. Each of the last three off-seasons, Washington spent good to major money on a defensive back, Landon Collins, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III. You have two accomplished defensive coaches on the staff and Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, and yet still, this defense is playing like this Given the way that the NFL is in 2021, is there a lesson here of don't devote too many resources to your defense because ultimately you're at the mercy of the offenses you play and defense is as much about fit and coaching and just guys meshing as it is maybe about individual talent. Is there that lesson to take from this or not necessarily? I I think you definitely can. Um, I'm never a huge fan of just investing everything you have into one side of the ball. And Washington's definitely done that on defense and it it helped them a lot last year, but I think the problem has been in years past, you know, it's kind of tough with Rivera coming in and having guys left over from the previous regime is that some players aren't fitting 
what this team needs. Um, Landon Collins has always been a type of guy that needs to play in the box, needs to basically be a linebacker. And he kind of has these past couple weeks. Um, but Jack Del Rio and Rivera still like to play a lot of two high coverages, which kind of leaves him exposed. And that's not something he's great at. Now, they didn't bring him in, so that's not really something they can control. Um, but it's the same with Kendall Fuller and William Jackson. Like Kendall Fuller's a great zone corner, um, but William Jackson's a great man corner. So it's kind of it's kind of them going all in on the defensive side, but not really going all in on a certain type of player, if that makes sense. They're not really kind of getting a whole bunch of players to match their scheme. Anxious to get your take on Taylor Heineke. So Pro Football Focus loved Heineke's performance in the loss to Tampa Bay in the wild card round last January. PFF, though, has not been as kind to Heineke's overall performance this season. Uh, the overall grade is at 57.4. He has not played well in three of the last four games. What is the PFF data telling us about Heineke's 2021 season? Yeah, the playoff game was incredible. It was our highest rated game by a quarterback I think we've ever given out. It was just, he didn't miss anything. He was always making the right decision. It's, and it's kind of been the complete opposite this year. Um, struggled with accuracy. Even when he's completing passes, that you know, they're still sort of inaccurate and Terry's haven't made great plays and, you know, guys aren't being able to like maximize their yards after catch because the ball is a little bit inaccurate. Um, the reason the grade is so low is, is basically just all of the dropped interceptions. Uh, we're grading that like an interception if it hits the defender right in the hand. I mean, that's that's on the defender to catch it. So that's kind of the reason his grade is so low. He's had a lot of those dropped interceptions, and he's kind of always played that way. He's always been risky, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And that's why I kind of like people's comparison to calling him sort of a Ryan Fitzpatrick because that's kind of what Fitzpatrick does. Um, but you know, it kind of seems like the coaches have sort of told him to kind of take a step back, not really be that sort of gunslinger guy. And he didn't really take any risks at all um, on a, on Sunday. And he, he missed a lot of opportunities. There were a lot of guys running wide open, but, you know, he just he wanted to play it more safe. And I don't know if that's him or the coaching staff telling him that. Um, but, yeah, he's just kind of in between mindsets of being that gunslinger and just kind of playing it safe. I know that the question of what Taylor Heineke can ultimately be as an NFL quarterback is already a tired question, but it is an important and relevant question for us as Washington football team fans in your opinion, is Heineke a quarterback worth exploring further and developing as this season continues? Or should Washington turn to Ryan Fitzpatrick if slash when he's healthy this season? Or even go to Kyle Allen at some point this season? Yeah, the whole offseason I was trying to talk myself into Heineke because as Washington fans, we've been looking for this quarterback for, for decades. Pretty much all my life I've been looking to see you know a franchise quarterback. So I was ho- hoping that they might have found some magic there, but... You know, it just it doesn't look like it. The larger sample size just kind of shows that this is who he is. He's kind of that that backup that can you know can come in and, and might win you a game, might have some incredible performances, but it's he's not really someone you can trust throughout a sixteen or now seventeen game season. So I think when Fitz comes back healthy, I, th- I think he's definitely the guy. Um, I don't think you're going to see much of an improvement if you bring in someone like Kyle Allen. I think they're they're kind of the same sort of quarterback in that you know they could you know, spark the offense a little bit, but I, I don't think there's somebody you can really trust going forward. Now, I mean, I love Heineke. The, the performances he's had have been awesome, but I think this is who he is as a quarterback, and he's just kind of, you know, that solid backup that, you know, can come in and maybe win a game or two. One of the things that Pro Football Focus really illuminated as last season went on and already has shined a spotlight on this season is Washington's offensive line being better 
than people anticipated. What has jumped out to you this season in watching Washington's offensive line and grading the offensive line? Yeah, everything. I mean, I was I was a huge fan of the offensive line last year. I think it was one of just the most consistent offensive lines in the NFL. And I, I was scared going into the season, you know, to kind of tinker with that. You know, you get rid of Moses, you get rid of um, guys that have been there in the past, and you're kind of messing with that continuity. And, and that usually hurts teams in the past, but it's been the exact opposite. They've pulled every single right move on that offensive line, and, and it's turned out perfect. Sam Cosby is looking to be one of the steals of the draft. We have him as one of our top 10 offensive tackles in the entire NFL. His run blocking grade is up there in the top three with guys like Trent Williams. Um, Chase Roulier has been the same guy. He's always been just, you know, consistent as he, as it comes. And Eric Flowers has turned into the Eric Flowers when he was in Washington. It was cool to see him come back and, you know, be that same guy. When, when he went back to the Dolphins, it was kind of a, a struggle a bit. But now he's back and he's he's looking great there. Wes Schweitzer keeps coming in off the bench and he's almost performing better than Brandon Scherf has this whole year. And, you know, it's just something that they, they made all the right moves there. And, and I have to give them credit for that because it was it was definitely an area that I was a little concerned about going into it. How about Scott Turner? What are your thoughts on his play calling so far this season? Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to sort of judge him because a lot of times we judge these offensive coordinators on on the numbers and what they're putting up. But when you're sort of handicapped at quarterback, it's tough to make those sort of decisions. And has he made every single right decision? Of course not. But if you're watching back on some of the film and you, you get a chance to watch the All-22, you see guys running open. You're just seeing either the quarterback miss him or not seeing him at all. So I don't think there's anything to really question with Scott Turner. I think he's a, he's a good offensive play caller. Um, but you just can't really fully judge him until you, he gets that quarterback. And it's, it's sort of the same as Terry McLaurin because, like, we know that Terry is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but his numbers may not suggest it because he hasn't had that quarterback play. And it's it's similar and, and that same sort of thought as with the offensive coordinator. With the Washington football team, offense, defense, who has been surprising, either in a good way or a bad way, among Washington players this season, according to Pro Football Focus? Like, who's a guy or who are guys whose PFF numbers might surprise people? Uh, Jonathan Allen is definitely one. I've always been a huge Jonathan Allen fan. His pass rush grade is up there with what the guys like, you know, Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald and Chris Jones and all of them, and he's up there with them. He's constantly winning. He's the one consistent piece on that defense. Um, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit that he deserves. Um, but somebody that that's kind of disappointed me is William Jackson. You know, I, I liked him in Cincinnati, but the grades have shown and, you know, the eye test has shown that he hasn't really performed at all. We have him with a, a 46.8 overall grade this season, which would clearly be his worst season in the NFL. Final question. So you're a fan of the team. What are you thinking about the rest of this season? I mean, the record's two and four. It feels like zero and six for a lot of different reasons. But you know, it is two and four. The season isn't over. You do have eleven games left, but we know the schedule is daunting. We know things are not going well right now on defense, and the offense is supremely banged up. Do you think Washington can make this a viable competitive season, or do you think we could be in for a rough time over the next two and a half months? I, I definitely think we could be in, a, in, in for a rough time. And again, the fan in me wants to say, you know, they can they can turn around like they did last year, but the schedule is not as favorable as it was last year. And, you know, this is kind of what I predicted going into the season. I always kind of saw them as like a six, seven win team, maybe eight, if you get good enough quarterback play. But, you know, I, I kind of think they're around that same sort of six, seven win mark that you could get to, which 
doesn't look like it'll be enough to win the division with how well Dallas is playing. But that's kind of what I picture them finishing in, like that 6-7 area. Yeah, certainly feels that way right now. Well, definitely follow him on Twitter if you don't already. Nick Ackridge, Pro Football Focus, senior data analyst, big Washington football team fan, does a lot of work with the team, at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Nick, it was great having you on, man. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, good stuff from Nick Ackridge. Up next, Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington to preview the Wizards 2021-2022 regular season, including a breakdown of some major Wizards news over the last 48 hours. And what if Bradley Beal turns down this max contract extension offer? Will the Wizards trade Beal this season? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. All right. The 2021-2022 NBA regular season has begun. The Wizards will begin their 2021-2022 regular season on Wednesday night at the Toronto Raptors at 7.30 Wizards have a new head coach in Wes Unsell Jr. Wizards have a bunch of new players, particularly off the five-team mega trade that included sending Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers, but netted the Wizards, the likes of Spencer Dinwiddie, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. Wizards do still have Bradley Beal, but are waiting for his response to their max contract extension offer 
That was made earlier this month. Very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. He is a must-follow on Twitter if you're a Wizards fan, at Chase Hughes, NBCS. Chase, very nice to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Al. You know, things are kind of going back to normal. I'm going to practice. I'm going to games. And, you know, speaking of normal, uh, the Washington football team season might be uh, ending in October. Everything's back to normal right now. It's like the sun rises in the east and all those things you just outlined are well in effect here uh, as another wizard (laughs) season is upon us. Before we get into the particulars with the Wizards, I'm just curious, kind of your bottom line expectation going into this Wizards season, do you expect the Wizards to make the playoffs? I expect them to make the playoffs, but as a lower seed, you know, I think uh, the the eight seed sounds right to me. That's about where they were last year. Now, I think there's a chance they could be a better team than they were last year and still finish eighth because the Eastern Conference, I think, is going to be quite a bit better. There's teams that made offseason moves Uh, to improve their outlook and also teams that are just going to be healthier and therefore better next year. You know, the Celtics will have uh, Jalen Brown back. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets, uh, we'll see about Kyrie Irving, but James Harden and Kevin Durant are in the fold. They look even better. So um, Chicago, uh, Charlotte could be better because of LaMelo Ball. Indiana with Rick Carlisle. I think the Eastern Conference is probably the deepest it's been a long time. So I think the Wizards will make the playoffs. I think they'll have to win in the play-in tournament to get there. Um, but I think they'll get in and, and with the record somewhere around 500. Yes, and that is, of course, very familiar territory uh, for our Wizards. So we on Tuesday had news from the Wizards, the official announcement that they have signed Daniel Gafford to a multi-year contract extension, reported three-year $40.2 million extension. The Wizards did not have to do this. Gafford was under team control through the 2022 2023 season. He's now under team control through the 2025-2026 season. And if he remains on his current trajectory, this to me could prove to be a steal of a deal. What do you make of the Gafford extension? Well, first of all, all that money's guaranteed. There are no club options or player options. I, I reported that. This is a, a big commitment to a player who, if he at the open market now, might not garner that. But I think you and I, Al, uh, you and I agree, Al, that if he hit the open market in two years when his current contract's done, he might command a lot more than that. So it's really interesting, and, and you, I think, would appreciate this because I follow baseball, and I think this is a practice that you more commonly see in baseball where you try to sort of sign a guy early to save money later. It's something that uh, Nationals fans have wanted them to do with Juan Soto, and certainly the Braves have made a practice of it with Ozzie Albies and, and uh, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Uh, Obviously, it's a different extent, but I I think you don't see it very often in the NBA because it's pretty rare to have a player like this where you feel like he's under a uh, team-friendly contract already, but you can project that he's an ascending player and might end up being really, really good and worth a lot more on the open market. So I think the Wizards are sort of paying more now, hoping that they'll save money down the road, and it works out for him. You know, He was on a second-round pick contract. This gives him more financial security. Uh, They've got him through his age 27 season, so through his mid-20s. If he continues on this trajectory, it could really pay off. And I think there's a lot of reason to believe that he will continue on this trajectory. He's 23, he's super athletic, he really thinks through the details of the game, and I think he's very, very driven to tap into all the potential that he has. He's an exciting player, no doubt. And speaking of contract extensions uh, and the Wizards, you broke the news on October 1st of the Wizards, as expected, having offered Bradley Beal a max contract extension. As best as we can tell, he has yet to give his response. Two-part question. A, are the Wizards willing to do a max extension shorter than four years, as was the case two years ago when he signed 
the two-year extension that is only kicking in this season. The NBA is amazing. A two-year extension hasn't yet kicked in, and already the Wizards are offering another extension. Uh, and B, uh, when do you expect a response from Beal? Well, first of all, it's a very open-ended offer where I think if Bradley Beal wanted to sign for two years instead of four, they'd be very willing to do that. Um, they are basically, I think, the moment that they could, they made the offer understanding that they felt like they it was the right thing to do um, without any expectation that he will sign it immediately. Uh, one signal that he's given was on media day. He was asked about it and he said, I have all year to sign it if I want, so there's no rush. I thought that was a pretty good indication of his thinking. I was also talking to a, a member of the front office the other day, and they said of it that it was basically a formality, that they, they gave him the offer. But, you know, let's be honest, he can make a lot more money if he waits. So I, I'm sort of reticent to uh, create an expectation just because of what happened last time, where a lot of us thought he was going to wait because he, he could have made more money technically, and he decided to sign a shorter-term deal and set up uh, this situation that he's currently got where he's going to have 10 years of service after the season and he can get a designated player contract. Uh, it, it's projected to be the biggest contract in NBA history. So him and his agent kind of set it all up for this point. Um, and right now that the tea leaves I'm reading, uh, suggests that he's not going to sign it, uh, anytime soon. Now, maybe that changes. Um, there's reason for him to wait. I mean, he can kind of see how this team does to start the year. Uh, he can kind of put a little bit of pressure on the front office as they look ahead to the trade deadline. You know, maybe uh, they get off to a hot start and then they have reason to think, OK, well, maybe we can load up even more and trade some of these mid-level contracts for uh, another star. Uh, but certainly if it goes down that course and he doesn't sign it, um, what has all been in theory to this point about the Wizards potentially losing him someday uh, they'll have to face a decision at the trade deadline about whether to risk losing him in free agency for nothing or try to get something in return. Yeah, so what do you think the Wizards would do? I mean, to me, if he doesn't sign the extension, don't you have to trade him by the trade deadline just to avoid that nightmare scenario of you losing him via free agency for nothing or next to nothing? I mean, I know you could always do one of those sign and trades, but those things never get you back anything close to the superstar you end up losing. I think it kind of depends on how they they play. Uh, obviously, if they are in last place, if this goes like a lot of wizard seasons go, where you know all the plans that you laid get kind of thrown back in your face by injuries or uh, guys underproducing, uh, then certainly I think you're going to have to face the prospect of trading him. Um, you know, if you're ten games under five hundred and the calendar turns to February. Uh, you're probably going to have to deal him, right? I don't think you really have any choice. Now, if he hasn't signed the deal and you are 10 games above 500 and it looks like you're really on a good course, then maybe you could reason taking the chance because you're building a winner and that's what Bradley Beals wanted. And, you know, maybe it, it, the, the risk would be a lot lower because you feel like, well, why wouldn't he want to stay here? All the things that he said, he likes the direction of the franchise. He wants to win. If you're winning, then it would make sense for him to sign on the dotted line. So I really think it kind of depends on how they go, how things go this year. Uh, but certainly if they get off to a slow start, which may happen just because they've got so many new players and a new coaching staff, um, then the trade rumors, all the trade rumors we've seen in recent years were nothing compared to what we will see. That Bradley Beal did not give in to the wishes of Russell Westbrook this past offseason to also request to be traded does that, to you, serve as a sign of, you know what, maybe Bradley Beal is more than open to staying here long term? Or do you not take that as a sign of what Beal might end up doing with this max contract extension offer? 
I think it was another indication that he wants to stay here long term. And, you know, he's said some, I mean, he hasn't said that flat out like he has in the past, but he said a lot of positive things about the direction that the franchise is moving. Uh, his agent, Mark Bartlestein, I, I talked to him a couple weeks ago when they made the offer, the Wizards made the offer. He said the same thing. He's, he really thinks that, uh, the team's heading in the right direction. So um, Bradley Beal, uh, I, I think the Wizards are kind of giving him what he wanted all along. Uh, you know, it's it's a great situation for a superstar to be in. You're, you're very highly paid. They're giving you as much money as they possibly can, more than any other team can. Uh, you've got a roster now that complements your skill set really, really well. Uh, I think it should be able to augment his strengths and, and overcome his weaknesses, uh, you know, particularly on the defensive end if they build the right structure. And it's his team and his franchise. If they do really well, he's going to get more credit than he's ever gotten before. Now, if they don't do well and, and everyone's healthy, certainly the microscope will come uh, over him and, and his ability to lead a winning team. But I think it's a, I think it's a, a pot. They're moving in a positive, positive direction in that regard, as long as things just don't completely fall out from under them once the season begins. We're previewing the Wizards season with Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Another thing that you broke recently was the return of Rui Hachimura. Uh, he missed the start of training camp due to personal reasons. He's back, did clear COVID-19 protocols, but was not to travel with the team to Toronto. Uh, do we know what's going on with Rui and when might he be able to play in a game? Well, yeah, there's a lot of gray areas, gray areas to this situation. He was out for personal reasons. Uh, from what I've heard, it's a confluence of things that are, you know, in his personal life, some things that are very unique to him. And the fact that he doesn't want to publicize any of it, like some other athletes have, you know, some people have cited mental health and that sort of thing. Um, I think probably it needs to be respected to agree to a degree and that the team is really kind of giving him his space. But I think that's kind of created some gray areas as well as he's now in the area. He's cleared protocol, but he, he also hasn't joined the team yet. And it's a little bit difficult to decipher. Like, are they just really trying to give him his space and, and making sure he's ready when he is ready? But if but if he's ready and he's through protocols he's in, and, he's, and he's in town, then why hasn't he joined the team? You know, so at this point, it, it sounds like when they go to Toronto, they're going to leave some player development coaches back. Uh, to work with him and he'll begin in earnest uh, individual workouts and from there probably go to three on three and then five on five and then uh, be able to go and actually play in some games. But I think it's going to at this point, I would guess, take several weeks. And it's just a matter of this is bigger than basketball. And, and it's it's a guy dealing with some some difficult issues off the court that they really want to give him his space. So I don't, I don't think they're going to pressure him into anything. Three current Wizards coming off serious injuries. Spencer Dinwiddie, the partially torn right ACL. Thomas Bryant, the partially torn left ACL. And Denny Avdia, the right ankle fracture. How is each guy doing? Well, Dinwiddie looks great. I mean, he played in all the preseason games. There's really no limitations. Um, it's kind of followed what he said would happen, which was this was, yes, it was technically a partially torn ACL. Um, but it was not as bad as even most partially torn ACLs. So he was pretty confident going into the recovery that it wouldn't take very long because he had dealt with a fully torn ACL on his in his other knee back in college. Yeah, it's actually the reason why he left Colorado was to uh, be under the the watch of NBA doctors. But so he's very confident in his recovery and he looks great. I mean, he's getting to the rim. Uh, he's he's staying in front of his man on defense. Uh, he has also admitted though that it's probably going to take until year two until he's fully in peak form. But so far, the early returns are great. He looks like there's not going to be any problems, really. Uh, Thomas Bryant's a couple months behind because he had his ACL surgery in February. So it looks like he's going to return sometime in December, although they say he's making really good progress in practice. 
And then Denny Avdia uh, broke his ankle toward the end of last season. It was only supposed to be a 10-week recovery. It ended up taking almost six months, but now he's back. Uh, he missed the first preseason game, but he played in the final three, and he said he feels like he's up to speed going into the regular season. When it comes to the three guys who the Wizards got from the Lakers, which guy do you think ends up making the biggest positive impact for the Wizards this season? Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, or Kyle Kuzma? You know, that's a great question because I think there's a, a lot of value for all three of them, uh, untapped potential that we've seen uh, from what they've done earlier in their careers. I think it's Kuzma. I think his ceiling is the highest of the three. But if I had to bet you know, on one guy being a major contributor this year more consistently than the others, I think I'd say Montrez Harrell just because uh, he's in a contract year, but also he's just got an, a chip on his shoulder. He plays with an edge. You can just sense it when you talk to him. And he's such a high effort, high energy guy that it, like, it doesn't matter how much money you pay that guy. He's going to give you max effort every single time. Um, and he's really motivated by what happened last year. He joined the Lakers. It didn't work out for him. He wants to get back to the guy he was two years ago, who was the sixth man of the year uh, with the Clippers. And it's interesting. If you look at player rankings going into last season, so it was kind of when everything was equal between all the players that they brought over because it was like before Spencer Dinwiddie tore his ACL um, you know, Kyle Kuzma, some of these guys were coming off good years, Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell was the highest ranked player that the Wizards acquired. You know, the Washington Post, Ben Golliver does his rankings and, and Montrez Harrell was, I think was 58th in the NBA. Bradley Beal was of course in the twenties, but no one else was really even that close. So I think we, we need to remember how good Montrez Harrell was just one year ago. And I don't think any, there's any reason to believe that he can't get back to being that guy. Yeah, I mean, statistically speaking, he's been one of the best bench players in the NBA for a few years here. So I don't think that's far-fetched at all that Harrell ends up being the most impactful of the three. Davi Spurtons was super impactful two seasons ago. Bad season last season in year one of that five-year, $80 million contract. Where are we with old Davies? Well, he's in better shape than he was last year. Uh, you know, he showed up at training camp. Tommy Shepard described him as fluffy. He's not fluffy anymore. So at least he's in good shape. Uh, certainly, he did not have a good preseason, though. Uh, his threes weren't falling. He had one good game. Uh, I think it was against the Raptors in their third game. He, I think he went three of seven from three. But other than that, he shot very poorly from outside. And his threes have to fall for him to provide value. Um, you know, if, if you're talking about a glass-half-full approach, uh, I would probably point to two things. Um, or a couple things. One, he shot almost 40% from three last year, and he made the most catch-and-shoot threes per game of any player in the league. So even though his numbers were down and anyone who watched every game could tell he wasn't the same impact, uh, making the same impact, he still had a pretty good year statistically. So when you take into account all that he went through last year, having COVID, probably the worst bout of any Wizards player with it, also all the minor injuries, you know, stitches above his eye, calf injury that uh, ended his season. The fact that he still shot about 40% from three, maybe you could see that as a sign that he is more resilient than some of these other guys they've signed to big deals like Otto Porter or Jan Mahimi. You know, maybe it'll work out better in that regard. And then another thing I would say is, you know, last year when you had such a top-heavy payroll with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, it really magnified his salary as the third-highest-paid player on the team because he was all alone, the fourth-highest-paid player there was a big gap between the two of them. Now, he's kind of in this mix with a bunch of guys who are making around the same amount of money. Denwitty, Kuzma, KCP, uh, Harrell's not far behind. Thomas Bryant's not far behind. Um, you know, Gafford just got paid. So maybe when he goes 0 for 5 from 3, it won't be magnified as much, and maybe that'll help him with a little less pressure. Again, that's glass half full, but I think that those are some factors I think that need to be kept in mind. 
Wizards new head coach, Wes Unsell Jr. Major reason he got the job is his reputation for being a very good defensive coach. We every year as Wizards fans dance this dance of wondering whether the Wizards might finally be good defensively and we're almost always disappointed. I mean, the Wizards were a good defensive team for a few years under Randy Whitman. That's been about it for decades here. How confident are you in the Wizards being an at least decent defensive team this season? I'm pretty confident. I think they'll be league average to slightly above league average. I don't know if they're going to be a top five defense. Like, uh, you know, maybe some would argue with the personnel that they have. Um, It was only in the preseason, but they were awful defensively in the preseason. They had the worst defensive rating in the league. Uh, They gave up the most points, I think, of any team. Uh, They gave up the highest three-point percentage. And I think the second most threes. It, It was like... 43% 43% from three that they were allowing. Sorry for the construction noise in the back. <laughs> 43% that they allowed from three and about 17 and a half threes per game. So yeah, you're playing some of your backups and you played some teams that were probably chucking a lot more threes than they will in the regular season. But that to me was not a great sign. So I think it's going to take some time, but over the course of the season, They've got the personnel to put together a good defense. Daniel Gafford is a rim protector. They're better on the wing with guys like KCP and Kyle Kuzma. Uh, Maybe even better at point guard with Spencer Dinwiddie uh, swapping out Russell Westbrook. Rebounding worries me a little bit. they got to get defensive rebounds. Um, But I I, I really believe in Wes Unsell Jr. I think he's going to install a good structure. Uh, It's just a matter of can these guys take to it and sooner than later. No doubt. Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington does an excellent job covering the Wizards. Always love having you on, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Let's do it again. Very nice win for the Capitals on Tuesday night. A 6-3 win over the Colorado Avalanche at Capital One Arena. Caps now are 2-0-1 in the young NHL season. A lot to like about this game if you're a Caps fan like me. So the Caps dominated the puck possession battle. Caps for natural stat trick had 53 five-on-five shot attempts to the Avalanche's 29, including over the first two periods having 42 five-on-five shot attempts to the Avalanche's 17. I mean, that is a throttling in the puck possession battle. Uh, Caps in the first period had 19 shots on goal to the Avalanche's five, and finished the game with 40 shots on goal to the Avalanche's 27. But the number one positive from the game for the Caps was Evgeny Kuznetsov. He was a force. It is early, uh, too early to declare that, you know, Kuznetsov is back and that his mysterious ways are over and that he now is this super reliable player in person for the Caps. But what you can say is that Kuznetsov is off to a really nice start. Kuznetsov was outstanding on Tuesday night. He had two even-strength goals. He had the secondary assist on an Alex Ovechkin third-period empty net goal. Kuzi had a game-high seven shots on goal. He had a game-high 12-shot attempts. Anti-pernatural stat trick tied for the third-best five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the Caps in the game at 80. The Caps on Tuesday night with Kuzi on the ice in five-on-five situations had 16 shot attempts for versus just four shot attempts against. Uh, Kuznetsov scored an even strength goal 6-15 into the first period as he deep in the neutral zone received a great pass from John Carlson from the Caps defensive zone, skated the puck between two Avalanche defensemen and then scored on a wrister in the low slot. And Kuznetsov scored an even strength goal 16-41 into the second period on a wrister from the right circle during a sequence in which the Caps just obliterated the Avalanche 
in terms of puck possession. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Evgeny Kuznetsov. Um, he's been really good. Uh, had a great summer of training. Yeah. Um, came into camp and was really noticeable all through camp. I remember you know, saying that as camp was going on. <clears throat> really good in the exhibition games. And then the start to the season been really good for him too. Now, Kuzi did have a boo-boo on Tuesday night. Uh, the Caps gave up a shorthanded goal to JT Comper. 13:46 into the first period as he scored on a breakaway off a neutral zone takeaway on which he intercepted a pass by Kuznetsov. But the boo-boo by Kuzi did not end up staining his night. More from Laviolette. We, we chatted real quick on the bench just about the, the turnovers happen. I think when you're, um, when you're a creative player, uh, those things will happen. And he had already had a, a big impact in the game prior to that. Uh, we talked just about maybe something he could have done defensively. And at that point, he turned and he said, I'm going to get that one back. And so it was pretty, just a really good game for him. His, his speed and his skating and his puck possession is really on point right now. And, um, you know, they were, they were having a shift on his second goal. I mean, they were in, we were in the offensive zone for, I think, over a minute and moving around pretty good. And he, he, went, he ended up pulling the trigger, you know, towards the end of it and, and getting that big goal for us. So, um, you know, he answered his bell. But he had been playing. Th- those things are going to happen. He always looked for a good response, and he gave a great one. And Kuznetsov has been producing. You go back to the Capitals' regular season opener, the 5-1 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena last Wednesday night. Kuznetsov in that game, three assists. He has looked sharp. He has looked like the Evgeny Kuznetsov, who we have seen, right? I mean, this was the Kuznetsov who led the Capitals in points in the 2018 Stanley Cup winning postseason for the Caps, but he too often has disappeared. You know, he's had issues off the ice, right, with the cocaine and him last season showing up late to a team function with Ilya Samsonov and Kuznetsov last season twice getting COVID-19. So to see Kuznetsov doing as he's doing so far this season, very encouraging. Also for the Caps in this 6-3 win over the Avalanche on Tuesday night, Alex Ovechkin, another good game for him. He had that third period empty net goal. He was number two on the Caps per natural stat trick and five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the Caps in the game at 80.95. Caps with Ovi on the ice in five-on-five situations had 17 shot attempts for versus just four shot attempts against. And Ovechkin on Tuesday night appeared in his 1,200th regular season game for the Caps, marking him having skated, and get this, 96.6% of all Capitals regular season games since his NHL regular season debut on October 5th, 2005. For all of the great things that you can say about Alex Ovechkin, and there are many great things, his durability is probably the most underrated aspect of his game. The guy posts. Every season, he posts. You know, in addition to playing well, but he posts. And he's not some softy. He's not someone who avoids contact, right? Ovechkin routinely is among the Caps leaders in hits, and that he has played in 96.6% of all Capitals regular season games since he made his Caps regular season debut in October 2005 really is something else. Uh, The Caps starting goaltender on Tuesday night was not Vitek Vanacek. How about that? Ilya Samsonov finally was the Caps starting goaltender this season. Uh, Finally got the nod 
from LaViolette. VTech had started each of the Caps' first two regular season games and was quite good in those games. Samsonov on Tuesday night was fine. Uh, not great, but certainly good enough. He stopped 24 of the 27 shots on goal that he faced. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped six of the eight high-danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped seven of the eight medium-danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all 11 of the low-danger shots on goal that he faced. I mean, if you're ranking the Caps' three goaltending performances so far this season, this was number three, but it's not like Samsonov was a mess or anything like that. Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Samsonov's performance. Um, I thought he was good. I mean, it was slow for him. It was real slow for half the game, and um, I thought they had some. I thought they had some good chances at the beginning of the second period, and then when the score was five-two, I thought they had some chances. So for just to keep it there, um, I thought he made some big saves. Yeah, I mean, the only nit to pick with the Caps showing on Tuesday night was their special teams. Uh, Caps were bad on special teams. O for three on the power play. Caps gave up that shorthanded goal to JT Comper in the first period, and the Caps went just three of four on the penalty kill. But this was still a pretty convincing win. Caps have begun their season with a 2-0-1 homestand. Next up for the Caps at the New Jersey Devils, Thursday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 171, will feature a ton on the Washington football team off it on Wednesday, beginning the team's practice week for Sunday afternoon's game at the Green Bay Packers at one. We expect Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke to each be speaking on Wednesday via post-practice press conference, so we'll have a lot to get into. Also, I will post-game the Wizards' regular season opener at the Toronto Raptors Wednesday night at 7.30. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The damn Washington Wizards!